And if you try to make up your mind about whether to run for president based on what your poll numbers are on any particular day, then you have no business running for president. From WNYC and New Jersey Public Radio, it's the Christie Tracker. My job is to be the adult in the room, to tell you folks the truth. I'm answering the question. We're here to bring this country together, not to divide it. You know, some may go down tonight, but it ain't going to be jobs, sweetheart. I'm Nancy Solomon, sitting in for David First. We speak with Wall Street Journal reporter Josh Dossie about a new subpoena in the ever-widening investigation of Chris Christie and with the latest corruption charges against Senator Bob Menendez adding to a mountainous pile, CUNY history professor Brian Murphy explains what's the matter with New Jersey. But first, we have our very own Christie tracker. New Jersey Public Radio's Matt Katz is in New Hampshire, where Governor Christie is scraping and clawing his way back into contention for the Republican nomination for president. Hi, Matt. Hey there, Nancy. Why is his first big policy speech in New Hampshire focused on entitlements, the government programs that provide benefits like Social Security? Why do you think this is the moment that he's taking to talk about this issue? I mean, if if the polls show him in eighth place here and if he's supposedly dead in the water, nobody told both the press. There's like three dozen reporters following his every move here this week or a lot of the you know folks in New Hampshire who are really kind of coming out to see him. I mean, he wasn't mobbed at his appearance this morning, but um, there seems to be interest. He was walking the streets of Manchester downtown today and people seem to know who he was. Uh, one guy wouldn't shake his hand, but for every one of those guys, there was five or six more who ran up to him to get selfies and were, were thrilled to meet him. So he's doing what he's got to do. I mean, they, they always say these people People like to folks up here want to be they want to look you in the eye. They want to talk to you personally. And, you know, he's got uh, 11 months to make his 10 months. Wow, we're getting there, Nancy. Uh, 10 months to make his mark. And he's he's trying. So maybe the uh, news of his political death was premature. Uh, What does Governor Christie need to do in New Hampshire really to make himself more relevant again, even if he's getting the attention that uh, he was hoping for, you know, what does he really need to do in these next few days? He needs to do what he's doing right now. I'm out, outside of a bar right now where there's a bunch of uh, local Republicans from the town of Newmarket, uh, which is about 45 minutes outside of Manchester, and he's going to talk to them, and he's going to talk to them about uh, the national debt and Social Security and entitlement reform. So he needs to uh, meet with small groups of people. He needs to come up with an issue, and that would be entitlement reform that nobody else in the Republican field right now is talking about. And the third thing he needs to do is hold town hall meetings. He's got two this week. This is his big ace in the hole. This is what made him YouTube famous in New Jersey. This is what everybody says is his strength. This is what national political reporters say he's better at than anybody else in the field. I think that is the, the hugely significant thing that he needs to, he needs to nail if he's, going to, uh, if he's really going to you know, make a comeback here. Here comes the governor, by the way. Okay, thanks, Matt. I think we've had too much, and this is not Republican or Democrat, it's both. I think we've had too much of people in public life pretending to be something. And so, with me, you're going to get what you see. New Jersey's U.S. Attorney Paul Fishman is expected to announce the indictments in the Bridgegate lane closure scandal any day now. But lest we forget, 
Manhattan District Attorney Cy Vance is also looking into alleged wrongdoing at the Port Authority, the agency at the heart of the scandal. We're joined by Wall Street Journal political reporter Josh Dossie. He broke the story last week that the DA is investigating a contract given to a company partly owned by Jerry Jones, who gifted Governor Christie first-class treatment during the Dallas Cowboys playoff run earlier this year. Welcome, Josh. Thanks for having me. Josh, you were thumbing through the Port Authority's disclosures to bondholders, and buried in the documents, you found the agency acknowledging a new subpoena. What's the Manhattan DA looking at? Right. So they are probing the procurement process for uh, the observation deck at the World Trade Center. Uh, we look through these documents because it is one of the times they have to admit, you know, if they're being investigated by any sort of body. So they're looking at the procurement process to how Legends Hospitality, which is partially owned by Jerry Jones, uh, scored the contract for the observation deck, um, which coincidentally is supposed to open next month. Now, for folks who haven't been following this as closely as you and I, Jerry Jones is the owner of the Dallas Cowboys, and it became a big story when Governor Christie was seen in the owner's box with Jones at Cowboys playoff games. And there were questions over the fact that Jerry Jones was paying for Christie to fly to these games. So do we have any information about a connection between this gift and the Legends contract? Well, we don't. I mean, Governor Christie's office has said, you know, that their friendship is simply personal and it's based on football but a lot of eyebrows were raised uh, back in January when it was disclosed that you know he had a contract with, with an agency that Governor Christie at least partially controls and and meanwhile was you know taking gifts from this person this is the first time I think we've known that the prosecutors are also looking at the um, at the ties here so the bond documents provide an interesting roadmap of all the subpoenas issued to the Port Authority it's quite a trip through the various scandals that have come to light since the lane closures at the George Washington Bridge. Take us along for the ride. What else were you seeing in those documents? Sure. So they're looking at different um, parts of Atlantic City Airport. They're looking into whether anything improper was done in awarding contracts. They're looking at the travel of David Sampson, who was a Christie ally and former chairman of the Port Authority, and whether he improperly asked for a special flight to go to his vacation home in South Carolina while negotiating with United. You know, one of the most interesting things here is a lot of this has come to light because of, of the bridge lane closures, but, you know, some of the things that could end up being most damaging to, you know, the Christie administration and to officials of the Port Authority have nothing to do with the actual closures in Fort Lee. They are just different prongs of investigations that have, you know, since arisen um, because of uh, that week of gridlock in, in Fort Lee. All right. Wall Street Journal political reporter Josh Dossie, thanks so much. They don't think we're going to catch them. And the message I'm trying to send is we're going to catch it. The history of New Jersey corruption is long and rich. Newark Mayor Sharp James went to jail. Innocent of all the charges, look forward to my day in court where the truth will be told. Trenton Mayor Tony Mack refused to give up his job until he was carted off. Do you know what I went through to get this job? Huh? If you, if you knew what I went through to get this job, you wouldn't step down either. Governor Jim McGreevy stepped down after it was disclosed he hired his secret lover to head the state's anti-terrorism department. And so my truth is that I am a gay American. And then there was time for traffic problems in Fort Lee. I know there was much discussion um, yesterday about what was I doing. 
Well, let me tell you, everybody, I was blindsided yesterday morning. That brings us to the latest, Bob Menendez. Prosecutors at the Justice Department don't know the difference between friendship and corruption and have chosen to twist my duties as a senator and my friendship into something that is improper. They are dead wrong, and I am confident that they will be proven so. Our next guest, Brian Murphy, is a history professor at Baruch College who writes about money and politics. Last week, he co-authored an article in Politico titled, Don't Blame Menendez, Blame New Jersey. Hi, Brian. Hi, Nancy. How are you today? Um, So I thought we'd whiz through some highlights of the history of New Jersey political corruption. And, and, uh, (laughs) you know, so apparently I learned recently that the first governor of colonial New Jersey, Lord Cornbury, was known for taking bribes and appointing relatives to top jobs. And he was also a fabulous cross-dresser. So I think the state got off to a pretty good start there in the world of political corruption. It did. And it, that was the, I believe he wasn't actually a cross-dresser. Uh, it was the story that they made up after he left. Um, and his problem actually speaks in some ways to the, the current problems in New Jersey, which is that it wasn't so much that Cornbury was corrupt. It's that Lord Cornbury messed up by giving the patronage and the favoritism to the wrong people. Um, and then the, the people who felt that they were in, entitled to, the, to his attentions sort of conspired to to have him removed as governor. So it's not so much, even back then, it's not so much the governor or the person, it's the system that they're dropped into. And so in terms of Menendez, I mean, you know, he it has been argued that when you're a U.S. senator, you spend a lot of time with people with a lot of money, and then that's the system. They have influence. Um, is that what you're right. talking about? Yeah, and I think the thing that kind of makes this it's a bit tragic uh, is that Bob Menendez's re-election was safe in 2012. And yet he engaged in fundraising practices that are now putting him at the center of this federal indictment. Um, so why the, – the natural question I think to ask is why is uh, why a United States senator from a safe seat would allow himself to be put in that position? And I think – Part of the answer to that is that Bob Menendez came up through the ranks uh, in New Jersey politics, right? To become a United States senator from New Jersey without being independently wealthy in the way that John Corzine was, you know, you have to be extremely good. You have to become extremely uh, proficient at navigating um, very, very competitive political waters. And there are so many different ways to do that. And I think part of what we see in the Menendez indictment is if you look at the sort of side of what the senator's friend, Dr. Melgan, was actually doing, and he's giving money to county political organizations. You know, why is a Florida ophthalmologist giving money to the Essex and Bergen and Passaic County Democratic parties? Uh, It's because Bob Menendez's people or Bob Menendez himself has steered it there. And because he's been, he's so... Um, habitually inclined to remember and and support lower-level and mid-level party organizations within New Jersey, uh, I think simply out of habit and simply because that's how you maintain that spot at the top of the pyramid. So what you're arguing is is that it comes down to the county political party committees and that if there were reform of those committees, 
that would shake through and reverberate through the whole system? I think it would, yeah. And so this is, you know, I I think I first understood in a real way how these county machines work um, when I saw the documentary about Cory Booker's first Mm -hmm. run for mayor when he lost against Sharp James. And I found it fascinating to see it was sort of a cinema verite of that of that uh, election campaign. And what you had was if somebody put a Cory Booker sign up in their auto body Mm -hmm. shop, the next Mm -hmm. day code enforcement people from the city would come by and fine them for doing something that they weren't, you know, that they weren't legally supposed to be doing and down would come the signs. And so Mm -hmm. it was like this, the integration of the running of the city uh, with the politicking, really was the first time I got an understanding. Like, oh, that's how these machines work. That's right, and I, uh, you know, and I think in Jersey, it that happens on a bipartisan basis. The degree of coercion by using the the instruments of code enforcement or the employment of you know, relatives who are in non-political positions, it becomes a really powerful tool for incumbency. You know, not every state has a county party system. And I think New Jersey has long recognized that they're problematic because the only reason that the governorship of New Jersey is as powerful as it is, is because progressives wanted to liberate uh, the governor from being under the thumb of county party organizations. So they made a strong governorship where the governor got to do all the appointments of his cabinet, including the attorney general, and appoint judges and have all these powers to present a budget. Um, But they never got rid of the county parties. So you've got this, (laughs) in some ways, you didn't really solve the problem because the core problem wasn't so much that the governorship was weak. It was that these county party organizations were really big sources of corruption, and they're still here today. All right. Well, thank you very much. Brian Murphy is a history professor at CUNY Baruch College, and he writes about the intersection of money and politics. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. The Christie Tracker Podcast is a production of WNYC and New Jersey Public Radio. Thanks to associate producer Joseph Cooperglione. Our theme music is by 29-Hour Music People. You can subscribe to the Christy Tracker podcast on iTunes, and you can follow Matt Katz on Twitter at MattKatz00. That's Matt, K-A-T-Z. I'm Nancy Solomon. Till next week. You know, everything that I've ever said in my public life um, is not something that I would necessarily say again.